So, Mark. Yes? It's the spooky season. It is. We have entered the spooky season, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's now October as this episode comes out. Okay. I'm paying attention to the order of the Halloween episodes that we are recording. Definitely not completely out of order, (laughs) so I'm very lost. Well, it being the spooky season, I thought we should start off by talking about some spooky people. Yes. This week's movie, chock full of spooky people. (laughs) Sure. It honestly keeps finding new categories of spooky people to introduce right up until the end. Boy, does it. We'll talk about that later. Mark, what are your favorite movie witches? Okay. So, to shout out a recent movie witch who, not witchy, but maybe not officially a witch... Big ups to Bjork in The North Man. Oh, a great answer. Perfect performance. So good. The highlight of the movie to me. The thing I remember most. That's such Um, a good movie because it's just about like a guy who thinks he's an epic hero, but is just a dumb boy. Yeah. That's a very good way of explaining it. Also, I really spent the whole movie assuming that Anya Taylor-Joy would turn on him and was (laughs) surprised when she didn't. But that's, again, that's what's great about it, which is, like, he has this great out with, like, a hot lady who is into him, but he's too dumb. He's the worst. But other witches that deserve a special mention are some witches that scared me more than any child cartoon possibly should be allowed to. Scooby-Doo goes to Zombie Island, or whatever (laughs) it's called. Those southern plantation-owning cat witches horrified me you just said a lot of words have you not seen that will no (laughs) it's genuinely when i was a kid it was like the first scooby-doo animated one that came out in my memory and it was honestly actually terrifying daphne has taken up her career as an investigative journalist this is going off of decades old memories that it might be wrong But they end up going to this plantation in Louisiana that's haunted by real zombies. And obviously they're going to prove it false. But then it turns out the zombies are real. But then the zombies are good guys in a fight against the kindly owners of the plantation who are secretly evil cat witches who want to turn everyone into cats, maybe? I can't remember their goal, but it was actually very scary as a child. Wow. Yeah. It was the first Scooby-Doo where the magic was real. I don't know about that because as we discussed on our Rain Man episode, I watched Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf as part of my effort to watch movies from 1988. Oh, right. And in that one, like all of the Halloween monsters are real because see Dracula, he needs to hold the monster road rally, but the Wolfman has retired. And so he needs a new Wolfman and he turns Shaggy into a new werewolf. So that Shaggy can be a werewolf to participate in the monster road rally, which, by the way, is rigged in Dracula's favor. The road rally takes him about 45 minutes and nothing happens in it. That doesn't sound canonical to me. As a deep lore knower (laughs) of Scooby-Doo, for sure. Mark is the editor-in-chief of Scooby-Doo.Fandom.Wikia. I did did truly love Scooby-Doo as a kid. I am sort of ashamed based off of mostly their depiction of Asian people. Particularly bad every time it happens. 
I mean, that's the thing with those post-war cartoons. Yeah. It's like that era where you can't be openly racist against black people on Saturday morning cartoons anymore. But Asian people are still fair game. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Um, My favorite witch from a movie, I think, has to be Miss Fraud at the Polls herself, the witch from I Married a Witch. Oh my goodness, I have not thought about that movie in a while. <laughs> I was thinking about it during this movie, because it's another, like, not quite Salem, but, like, 17th century witch who gets imprisoned. And she doesn't get, like, killed or whatever. She gets imprisoned in a tree, and then she has to get let out of the tree. And, you know, romance, magic, hijinks, and ultimately she rigs an election. <laughs> yeah, and also, again, adjusts to the 21st well, 20th century, much faster than conceivably possible. <laughs> yes. But we'll get into that more once we get to the episode. You know, it doesn't hurt that, like, you know, the witches in this movie, the movie we're talking about this week, have, like, some fun makeup. But the witch and I married a witch is Veronica Lake and looks like Veronica Lake, and that's probably doing something for me. <laughs> <laughs> I respect your honesty, Will. Sam, I am curious what your favorite movie witch is, though. I, I was trying to think, and when I was a kid, I was, this is really embarrassing, but I was always a big fan of the, like, beautiful evil witches. Like, those were, like, I loved them in movies. They were my favorite characters. So, do, are you talking, like, the evil queen from Snow White? Or, like, Maleficent? Maleficent? What are we talking about? T- kind of, but, like, have any, have any of you seen Return to Oz? The horrible Wizard of Oz sequel. <laughs> No. Oh, God. (laughs) This movie, Return to Oz is, like, infamous as Disney's attempt to get the Oz brand. And then the movie, like, scared all the children. Oh, maybe that's it. There's there's a sequel, and it has this, like, beautiful evil witch, but she's beautiful because she, like, cuts people's heads off and has this, like, head collection and, like, rotates them. Horrifying. But also... We should do... We should do Return to Oz. (laughs) Is that the movie... I it's, it it is a Wizard of Oz sequel, but I haven't watched it since yeah. 1996. So yeah, it's it, it's the Return to Oz. I'm pretty sure, and I think it's also the one that has like the Clockwork People. Yes, that are just terrifying. See, it's so scary. It is a scary movie. So why is she rotating the heads? Is she like trying to make sure they tan evenly? No, I think it's like like accessory for her. Like it's like she collects them like they're scarves. People okay, say. but you like put them out at different seasons, like a wreath on your. Desk. That's kind of what I remember. I could be entirely wrong because, as I mentioned, I think the last time I watched this was 1996 <laughs> or 2000. Oh my I was god! A child. <laughs> I just read the first sentence of the plot summary on Wikipedia. <laughs> In the autumn of 1899, Dorothy Gale's obsession with the Land of Oz troubles her Aunt Em and Uncle Henry, who believe she is delusional. They take her to the sanitarium of Dr. Worley, who, along with Nurse Wilson, prepares to administer electrotherapy. That was not a thing in 1899. Yeah, it's horrifying. And actually, now that I'm hearing that, that does sound familiar. And it was legitimately as horrifying as it sounds. Okay, adding it to the list. (laughs) Wow. You're welcome, everyone. When you watch this. Now that has me thinking of like all the various versions of Oz witches in movies. Cause like you have the classic Wicked Witch of the West and Glinda in the 39 movie. You have the Wiz witches. You have the Oz the Great and Powerful witches, where it's like all these like Academy Award nominated <laughs> actresses with nothing to do. That movie sounds bad. It's so boring. It's the worst thing Sam Raimi ever directed. The worst sin a movie can make. 
It's also long. It's like 135 minutes. Ew. Oh, my parents, this is not really related, but they just saw the new Broadway Harry Potter movie. I mean, musical, The the Cursed Child, since they redid it and turned mm-hmm. it into one show instead of two parts. Not as good. They were so really? disappointed. Yeah. Because well, I think what happened is when they condensed it, they also cut all the special effects, which is really oh, the best part of the show. That's supposed to be the good part of that show. So they still had some, but a lot no longer transitioned well or made sense. So they were really disappointed. We love cost cutting. <laughs> well, I think it was hard selling two tickets to everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially post-pandemic. I'm sure people are not like, lining up to, to go sit in the germs for two shows. <sighs> so you know what movie somehow... I feel like transcends the concept of boredom because I couldn't understand what I was feeling for a lot of it. <laughs> this week's movie. You know, and I, I want to talk about it. Just as we're moving into this, I read and was delighted by all of Roger Ebert's review for this movie. But in his absolute drubbing in the Chicago Sun-Times, he referred to it as a movie with, quote, great activity, but little progress. And... It just, like, perfectly summed up the experience of watching this movie. I remember at one point pausing it and being like, oh, we're 40 minutes into this. It feels like not that much has happened yet. (laughs) But at that point, not in a bad way, I was like, I would have guessed we were, like, 20 or 25 minutes into this. But then immediately after I said that, it felt like nothing happened for the next 30 minutes. It was just, like, a lot of running around and yelling. Oh, God. (laughs) Yes. And we will get into that running around and yelling on this week's episode of We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast where we dig into the very least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And I couldn't quite get clarity on this. Was the lead kid in this movie a virgin? It's a, you know, it's a subtle character detail, but they mention it seven times. Oh my god. Also, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it's, like, not that much of a thing, but it is very important that he's never had sex. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, in honor of the release of Hocus Pocus 2 last Friday... We are here to talk about Disney's most iconic movie about teenage virginity, the 1993 Kenny Ortega film, Hocus Pocus. Oh my gosh, it's Kenny Ortega? Oh yeah. Man, what a breadth of movies that man has done. Okay, so before we dive into Kenny Ortega, we are joined by our very good friend, Sam. Sam, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Hi. It's really nice to see you all, kind of, virtually. Okay, let's talk about Kenny Ortega, and then we'll talk about Hocus Pocus. So, yeah, Sam, what is your Kenny Ortega background? Well, besides High School Musical, I, sw- I already forgot what movie I just watched that I was, like, shocked that it was also a Kenny Ortega film. I need to now, I'm going to have to look on Google and figure out what the movie was. But I, I just, every time I think of um, Kenny Ortega, I can't help but think of High School Musical. So, Kenny Ortega is, of course, a legendary choreographer. He choreographed Dirty Dancing, The Material Girl, music video all of Michael Jackson's 90s tours. As a director, this is his second movie after Newsies. That's what it was. It was Newsies. And then since this, he's directed the High School Musical trilogy, all three of which we've covered on this show. The no, Cheetah Girls did we two. do Senior Year? Yeah, yeah you it was did. bad. You did. <laughs> I blocked it. I tried to block it out. Mark, we did it like three months ago. I think you, and in that episode, I think you recommended doing it every year. <laughs> That sounds so little like me. That sounds 100% like Will. 
Not even I would watch that movie ever. <laughs> what happened in that movie? They graduated. They put on a play about themselves. They put oh, on a play wow. about themselves, and Stanford yeah. had this draconian early acceptance program where you had to skip several weeks of high school. That's right. I genuinely have repressed my memory of this movie. Sharpay has a British assistant who's trying to replace her. Oh, Sharpay did nothing wrong. So Kenny Ortega directed Newsies, Hocus Pocus, the High School Musical trilogy, The Cheetah Girls 2, The Descendants movies, This Is It, the Michael Jackson concert documentary. And then his most recent movie is this movie called A Change of Heart that's about Jim Belushi as a grumpy conservative white man who's annoyed about all the changes in his town. (laughs) And then he gets a heart transplant from a Puerto Rican drag queen. What? The movie premiered at a film festival in Miami five years ago, and you can still not see it anywhere. It has never been put in theaters. It has never been released on digital. Oh, my God. There must be an illegal copy somewhere. Oh, that sounds terrible, and I want to see it with every fiber of my being. So, Mark, part of me is thinking, like, we should do Newsies because we would close out Kenny Ortega's narrative theatrical films. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to. It is very pro-union. And these are union times. Kenny Ortega directing this movie also makes it make more sense that the best moment is the musical number that randomly happens in the middle, where Bette Midler performs I Put a Spell on You. I mean, I agree that it's the best scene. I also, in a text to you both, referred to it as the good scene. (laughs) Yes. And I want to be very clear, because I think we need to circle back and we need to sort of talk about where we come to this movie from, because it's... For many people, a beloved movie. I think I'm going to have a lot of strong words to say about Hocus Pocus (laughs) over the next hour or so. And I want to be very clear that I am very happy this movie brings people joy. And I would never take it away from anyone. I had an enjoyable time, especially the first time that I saw it. But I simply do not understand the cult of Hocus Pocus. For my history with this movie, I watched it as a kid, very young, the only thing I remember is Broadway legend Bette Midler performing a musical number. Literally the only thing I could tell you about the movie. Yeah, the good scene. Watched it today for the first time since then, was sitting next to my friend on a plane who said, Oh, Hocus Pocus, I watch that every year. I don't like it. I zone out in the middle and get <laughs> bored. And yet, I watch it every year on Halloween. And I... I was so confused, but I don't think she's the only one who feels this way. No, I think it's probably true for a lot of people. But yeah, so I just want to be very clear before we get into this. Like, I am not trying to tell anyone they shouldn't have fun with Hocus Pocus. If this is a movie that brings you joy, you should be joyful with it. And Sam, I think you have a much deeper history with this than either of us does. I I do, but that it's it's, I think, and maybe for a lot of people also, it's kind of a nostalgia thing too, you know? This is what they've been showing on Disney Channel since I was basically born every year at Halloween. And it just is now a part of my Halloween tradition. So it's kind of like, you know how you have Christmas movies you watch every year? This is, for me, the Halloween movie I watch every year. So I kind of got your friend because I kind of do the same thing. And I still love it, but I love it for its, like, I guess for its kind of garishness. And it's, I, you, you know what you're getting every time, too. So if you sit down to watch this every year, like, what are your highlights? What are the things you're looking for when you pull up Hocus Pocus on Disney Plus? Or I don't know if you, like, pop in a DVD or something like Or just find it when it airs on Freeform. I love... <laughs> He's only around for, like, two seconds of the movie. 
<laughs> but like human Thackeray Banks. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is so far from what I thought you were about Sam, to say. That is the worst answer. <laughs> Sam, no, I feel I, like my highlight in Hocus Pocus is the dude who appears in one scene, gets turned into a cat voiced by another actor, and then briefly appears again no, at the end of the movie. When the movie suddenly announces that ghosts exist. After a whole movie, mostly about witches, in the last five minutes, including credits, in the last five minutes, they're like, by the way, ghosts are real too. No, it's that, I, that I'm just going in chronological order. <laughs> so there's that. Mm. Then I also really love the bus scene where suddenly... We have one of the witches just riding the bus. <laughs> She's This is a horny movie. <laughs> it is a very it's horny movie. So horny. And it's also just <laughs> Including with now that I'm watching it as an adult and paid attention the whole time, like very questionable children and adult sexual comments that she makes, but it's fine. I mean it's not fine. It's inappropriate. <laughs> I really respect this movie's twist on the Mother Maiden Crone witch trilogy of doing smart, dumb, and dumber. Yeah, it's like leader, dumb, and hot (laughs) are the archetypes they're going for. But hot is dumber than dumb. Right. And then, of course, I put it on you, the best part of the movie. Yeah, that's the best part. It was just so good. So I saw it for the first time two years ago at a drive-in, which... Was very fun. Like, it was my first time seeing a movie at a drive-in. It was, like, October 2020. I had not seen a movie outside of my home since the day after they announced schools were closing. And I went to see The Hunt, and I was like, should I be doing this? (laughs) And, yeah, so I saw Hocus Pocus there at the drive-in. And, like, that was a good enough time. I was bewildered by how much it was about whether this teenager was a virgin. Okay, before I forget, I really gotta jump in. I genuinely thought that at the end, after he drank the potion, the twist would be that the spell wouldn't work because he wasn't a virgin anymore. I kind of thought that's what was happening, but then his soul was kind of being sucked, so I really yeah. couldn't figure I was like, that out Is either. this Disney movie gonna admit that this kid just had sex? So I think it does admit it. Like, the million dollar question in this movie is, does he have sex with Allison? I think he does, because when Sarah Jessica Parker is singing her Come Little Children song, and all the entranced children are coming to her. There are clearly teenagers in that crowd coming towards her. But he is not at all entranced. And to me, that meaning is, he's a man now. But that begs the question, did they have sex with his younger sister and a talking cat in the room? I think yes! I was kind of thinking that too. And so I was paying really close attention, and... You'll notice when she comes up off of his lap, the blanket is behind her shoulders, too. So it was between them. So I think maybe they didn't have sex. So, yes, the choreography of it all is very important because <laughs> I, think, I think what happens later in the movie implies that they have had sex. But in that scene, they are clearly getting up from the same position that we saw them fall asleep in. So, like, it's blocked in a way that suggests... They have slept exactly the way we saw them lie down. As you say, the blanket is in the way. She does, when she's getting up, give him this kind of sidelong look that, to me, says she felt his boner when she was getting up. (laughs) But it could also mean, we just did it. And I I don't know. To me, like, I think that the explanation for why he is not entranced by Sarah Jessica Parker is that they had sex under the blanket while Cat James Marsden watched them. I... (laughs) 
can only like it it makes sense plot wise but the blocking is like yeah i feel that the movie is trying to have its cake and eat it too I just really cannot stress strongly enough how much this movie is about repeatedly stating that this teenager is a virgin. Where did this premiere? Was it on Disney? Is this a decom? No, this is not a decom. This was a theatrical film. This was released wide in theaters in July. <laughs> and was it... Why was, was it, it released in July? It is, and it's PG because we still don't know if they have sex. So it's like, maybe we can figure out. Because if it was a decom... Probably, probably not. But the release means maybe. So this movie comes out July 16th, 1993. They said the reason they put it out in July was like, ah, kids are out of school, so they're more likely to go to the movies. So that's how we get the kid market. And what's important to understand about Hocus Pocus is that not only was it savaged by critics, <laughs> all of the reviews are fun to read. Siskel and Ebert featured it on their worst of 1993 episode. <laughs> nice. It was also a financial flop. Like, Hocus Pocus was not a successful movie. It opened in fourth place behind week three of The Firm, week two of In the Line of Fire, and week six of Jurassic Park. I assume it has since become profitable. <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. Now, like, at the time, like, it opens just ahead of Free Willy, which opened the same week. But by the time the summer is over, Free Willy, like, almost doubled what Hocus Pocus made. So, like, the word of mouth on Free Willy was much stronger. To be fair, also, though, who wants, like... I mean, I love Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays. It might be my favorite holiday. But I don't know that I really want to watch a Halloween movie in July. So I guess many people felt like you were also read the reviews. And it was estimated to have lost around $16.5 million at the time of its release. Yikes. But <laughs> as you said, Mark, it has since become profitable in part because home video sales, which just really reliably spike every September and October, and also due to airings on television. And, like, pretty quickly, Disney just starts putting this on, like you said, Sam, on Disney Channel and later on what is now Freeform just every year. And every year it gets huge numbers. And it, like, became this classic kind of just through repetition more than anything else. All you have to do is put a movie on on a holiday every year and somehow it will become good to a lot of people. Yeah. It's the nostalgia effect. It's real. Probably easier back when there weren't, you know, a hundred channels as well. Yeah. So Hocus Pocus it gets its start with David Kirshner, who's the producer, and he has a story credit on the movie. And in the 1980s, he was like a producer of a bunch of stuff. He produced An American Tale and all the Child's Play movies. He still gets a piece of every Child's Play movie. But he says he got the idea for Hocus Pocus when he was sitting outside with his daughter and the neighbor's black cat wandered by. And he made up a story about how that cat was a boy who had been transformed into a cat by a witch 300 years earlier. So, I guess, Sam, you're not the only one that centers on Sa- Thacker- Thackeray? I think it's Thackeray Binks. Thackeray Binks. Is Thackeray Binks the worst Binks or the second worst Binks? I think his sister Who's seems pretty Binks? chill. Why do we hate Emily? What's wrong with Emily Binks? Uh, no, I meant the contender is Jar Jar Binks. Oh. <laughs> oh my god, I didn't even realize it's the same name. I think Jar Jar Binks might be worse because of the unfortunate racial connotations. Yeah, but yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> so then Kirshner starts pitching it around. He tells this story about how the first time he pitched it at Disney, 
he like got there early and decorated the whole room with Halloween stuff and had this whole pitch about like Halloween's becoming huge these days. Kids love Halloween. You need a Halloween movie. When did Halloween Town come out? Halloween Town is a Disney Channel movie, and that's like late nineties. Late nineties. Okay. So so this is this is quite a bit earlier then. Yeah, and he starts developing it like in the eighties. They hire Mick Garris to write it. And the first version is a movie called Halloween House. And I couldn't find a ton about that version. The big information I was able to find was that it was about 12-year-olds instead of 16-year-olds and was apparently, like, quite a bit darker. Like, the witches were a lot more actively malevolent. I can definitely see this movie starting that way and then changing. Yes, substantially. (laughs) This premise could be a real horror movie. Yeah. I think it would need to have more momentum. A a lot would have to change, but the concept of, you know, a punishment being eternal life, boy stuck in cat body, witches resurrected, stealing souls, and then virginity being a big part of it all sounds like a horror movie. Instead, it's this. Yeah. I mean, part of it for me is just like, there's a lot of time in this movie where people are running around very intensely and it's not quite clear what their goal is. Like, even when the kids are, like, running around looking for their parents, it's like, and and then what? Like, what do we imagine is going to happen? I don't know. I, when they told the cop, when yeah. they told their parents, like, what did they expect the next steps to be? The At least the cops, they might be like, shoot the witch. Yeah. But, wh- but who would have, like, why would they think someone would believe them? Like, if they're, t- they're old enough that they should The function of the James Marsden character should be to tell them how to defeat the witch themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. that would be the use of an immortal cat person. Besides just keep the book away from them. (laughs) His only contribution. Right. And so instead they have to, like, run around doing nothing for much of the movie. The part of Winifred was originally written for Cloris Leachman. What? Makes sense. Bette Midler comes into this off of her third Grammy win for The Wind Beneath My Wings and her second Oscar nomination. Famously, Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the part of Max. He said once that he was offered more money than he ever dreamed of to be in this movie. And was this, like dreamed of at the time. Was this right before Titanic or right after? This is several years before Titanic. Titanic is ninety seven. This movie comes out ninety three. He turned it down to do What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Probably a good move for him career wise. <laughs> a great career move. But it's like a story he tells about like this time where he's like, I don't know what I was thinking. Like they offered me so much money. It turned out for the best, Leonardo. I think for everybody. James Horner was contracted to do the score and had to drop out. All he wrote was the Come Little Children theme for Sarah Jessica Parker. And then they hired John Debney, who is also scoring Hocus Pocus 2. And Debney scored this movie in two weeks because he was hired at the last minute. Oh my God. (laughs) It's not that bad then for two weeks. Yeah. yeah, that's honestly pretty impressive. This movie sounds like a mess. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the kind of thing, and Ebert talks a lot about this in his review, which again is excellent. Where it's like, you do have this sense that they had fun making it. Like, I do feel that watching it. Mm-hmm. It feels like everyone's having a good time. But again, there's this line in his review where he says, watching the movie is like attending a party you weren't invited to, and where you don't know anybody, and they're all in on a joke but won't explain it to you. And I kind of feel that with the performances, and I feel it even more coming at Hocus Pocus 30 years later, where it's this beloved movie to some people, and I'm just like, so so which part of the shouty teenage virginity movie is it that you like? I, I don't know. 
I don't know what people like about this movie, I gotta say. I mean, again, I think the I put a spell on you sequence is, is good and fun. Yes. The, like, way that the witches play it, where he gives the announcement and then she's immediately just like, thank you for the introduction. Very fun. I do really like her lip makeup and buck teeth. I think that works for a comedy witch. Yeah. But the Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Jimmy witches, two actresses who are very talented, not good. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Jessica Parker in particular is given very little to do. Yeah. And she's, it's not like she's phoning it in. No, she just doesn't have that much to say or do. Yeah. At least Kathy and Jimmy gets, like, a bunch of gags, and, like, even, like, she gets to ride the vacuum cleaner. Yeah, but what's with the mouth thing she's doing? I don't know. Here's my question about the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> the mouth so, thing was so weird. <laughs> when we're introduced to the witches, they have these cool brooms, right? And they can fly on the brooms. And then, like, children steal the brooms because they think they're, like, free giveaways at Gary Marshall's house. And then... Hey, I'd take a free broom. I'm surprised they haven't fallen apart after, you know, 300 years. So then after that, the witches enchant a different broom, a mop, and a vacuum cleaner to fly for them. And that's where I'm like, so is it that they can enchant any cleaning implement to fly? Can they enchant any object to fly? Could they fly independently? Could they enchant their bodies? I'm not sure. I don't think much thought was put into it besides this would be funny. I mean, I think that describes a lot of the movie. But I guess their idea is that it's cleaning implements only, and that a mop and a vacuum are similar enough to a broom. Yeah, I assume that's the answer. So, I have a question about this movie. Unrelated to anything. What kind of town hall has a gymnasium auditorium thing and hosts an annual Halloween dance party for adults, and then... Why were so many adults there with their kids out trick-or-treating and then no one, like, I don't understand the logistics of this party. I mean, it's 1993. It's the era of the latchkey kid, right? So their kids go out trick-or-treating and they can let themselves back in. And I don't know how many towns throw a party like this, but I think maybe more should because it does seem like a great party even before it is disrupted by Bette Midler. It looks like prom. I, it does. It's gro- It's it's prom for grown-ups. I think if like every five years they threw prom for grown-ups and it was an elaborate costume party, I would go. Yeah, or they fair. Could, I mean, I think <laughs> bringing back to Halloween Town, my other favorite Halloween <laughs> Disney movie... <laughs> They, Sam, also not a good <laughs> I movie. know, but they're so nostalgic. They also have a dance in the middle, in the second one. They have a dance, and the parents are chaperones instead of it actually being for adults, which I think makes a little bit more sense. I've only seen Halloween Town 1, so I've not seen that. What I like about that is there's a lot of time going to the movies. <laughs> but no, Mark, I mean, you're asking questions about, like, why does City Hall have this thing? I don't know. Why does the high school have an enormous unlocked walk-in kiln? Yeah, I couldn't figure out if this, because they were in the library. I'm still trying to figure that out, because it makes sense, like, my- No, my, they were they were never actually in the library. That was just the tape. Oh, because that's what confused me. We had, we did have, we did have a kiln in my high school for the did pottery. Did you have a walk-in kiln? Um, yes, for the pottery. Oh. I know, right? And it was Take just that walk Very weird. Very weird. <laughs> Take that, Will. Very weird. No, I don't think that's normal. <laughs> But we had an art teacher who was a ceramics specialist, and so I guess that 
they turns out it's actually salem high school for the visual (laughs) and performing arts i mean this feels weird to me because now i'm like well i've worked at schools that had ceramics classes were there kilns in these buildings that i didn't know i really feel like that's not normal because it sounds really unsafe to have a walk-in kiln with young children we had a kiln but not a walk-in kiln I think it's fairly standard to have a small, small kiln. One. Yeah, but a walk-in one seems really aggressive. And now maybe I'm lying and it wasn't walk-in and I just misremembered this because you know, it's been 10 years, but I'm pretty sure it was walk-in. I thought it was a furnace at first, too, and I was like, why does this school need to burn things so bad? Is it? I thought it was- Well, it's, a, it's in Salem, Mark. They're <laughs> used to burning things. It might be a furnace. I thought it was a kiln because that was the only thing that might be. It is a kiln. They it's had a sign. A Look, I think we need to talk about the romance of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I think one last thing. The addition of the zombie, what's going on there, felt unnecessary. Okay. On the one hand, I love Doug Jones. And anytime Doug Jones shows up to do his, like, special effects acting, I'm excited to see him there. On the other hand, he is introduced, immediately dispatched. <laughs> And then unmentioned until, like, the last sequence in the movie. And to me, that is reflective of the way this movie, like, thinks of an idea, maybe, like, looks at it for a bit, and then, like, throws it away quickly, and then picks it up a while later. Or just has an idea and says, sure, why not? Like, again, how they introduce ghosts with five (laughs) minutes to go. Maybe ghosts will be explored more in Halloween, or Hocus Pocus 2. I guess we'll find out. Again, by the time this episode is out, Hocus Pocus 2 will be out. Sam, are you watching Hocus Pocus 2 opening weekend? I, well, I think it's on Disney+, Plus, so I might, I might yeah. be. Because I, I, I didn't realize it came out this week, and I kind of forgot that it was a thing. <laughs> uh, by, to be clear, by this week, we mean September 30th. Oh, okay. So yeah, so then it's a long, it's a long it, <laughs> it comes out when this episode comes out, not as we're recording. I was like, maybe I'll watch it tonight. No. <laughs> if it's as short as this one, this one's pretty short, so... Yeah, it's like 90 minutes. And yet it felt padded. It, do- it, <laughs> it does. does. It feels, feels like they were reaching to fill that time. Like the original ending was the kill. <laughs> it is directed by uh, We Love the Love all-star Ann Fletcher, who directed 27 Dresses and The Proposal. It was originally Adam Shankman, but then he left to do the Enchanted sequel. We will see. Um, all right. So I think it is time to dive into the romance of Hocus Pocus. Every week, we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide conversation. As our guest, Sam, will you take us to point number one? Yes. So the first point I have is when Allison and Max are in the school classroom, their teacher had just finished telling the story of the Sanderson sisters. Now there are those who say that on Halloween night, a black cat still guards the old Sanderson house warning off any who might make the witches come back to life. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. We seem to have a skeptic in our midst. Mr. Dennison, would you care to share your California laid-back tie-dye point of view? <laughs> okay. Granted that uh, you guys here in Salem are all into these uh, black cats and witches and stuff. Stuff? Stuff. Fine. But everyone here knows that Halloween was invented by the candy companies. It's a conspiracy. It just so happens that Halloween is based on the ancient feast called All Hallows' Eve. 
<laughs> it's the one night of the year where the spirits of the dead can return to Earth. Well said, Allison. In case Jimi Hendrix shows up tonight, here's my number. And Max is a California kid and too cool for school at the moment. And so he is basically... Uh, to be clear, <laughs> uh, we are told that he has... I wrote this down. He has a California laid-back tie-dye point of view. This movie's very subtle. <laughs> let's let's point out the reason that they're making fun of him for having this California point of view is because he doesn't believe in witches. Massachusetts people all love witches, and Californians all hate. <laughs> well, no more. It's like I like the notion because we're told that the sister also hears about this in class. That like. Every class stops on Halloween to be like, and today we're telling the story of the Sanderson sisters. The way that, like, classes would stop on 9-11 and be like, today is 9-11 day. We're just talking about what happened every year. But in Salem, it's the Sanderson sisters every year. I'm sure that it does happen, honestly. That is the vibe I get. My question in that history class, how do they know that Thackeray Banks was turned into a cat? Maybe he told you know, someone. Just there. He talks. Yeah, that's the other thing. When did he learn to talk? How long has he been able to talk? Why didn't he talk to his parents and tell them that he was turned into a cat? Did it take him a few hundred years to just relearn how to speak? Why doesn't he say, hey, don't light the candle. I'm a talking cat. Magic is real. It would be bad. You virgin. I mean, I want to be very clear as, as we dive into the romance of this, that like, really, like, virginity is a stupid concept. It doesn't make sense. Yes. It is, like, inherently contradictory in a million different ways. But also, like, is Thackeray Binks a virgin? Has he had sex with another cat? Does that affect whether he gets entranced by the witches? These are questions the movie raises. I don't think this movie put enough thought into what introducing the concept of virginity to a children's movie entails. Anyway, Sam, I think you were talking about romance, but we interrupted you before Allison even got mentioned. So, <laughs> the reason this scene... I, so, I, this is... When they meet, which is why it's my great one, because their meeting is basically Allison correcting Max about Halloween. And Max is convinced that Halloween is only a corporate scheme. Allison is bringing up some of the more, I think it's their religious, religious roots, the All Hallows Eve yeah. and, and old, old feast days. I mean, neither of them are really accurate for no. where most Halloween <laughs> traditions come no. from. But she's a good bit more right than he is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I felt unsure about saying corrected, but I felt like she was more right, so that's why I said corrected. Well, but it, her attitude but is it, certainly it does, correcting her. It does also raise the idea that she believes that the dead can walk on Halloween, so ghosts are real, but just not addressed until the last 30 seconds, honestly. As a teacher and as someone who was once in high school, this scene well, is crazy. You, you went to high school, Will? I did, yeah. Uh, this scene is crazy to me because he then gets up in the middle of the class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And just gives her his number and is like, "Yo, give me, give me a call <laughs> if you want to talk more about this." We then here's the th the other thing we get. So like, okay, first of all, we're like, okay, he's flirting with this girl. He tries to get her number. It's funny later on when like he talks to her again and she's actually given him the paper with his own number back. That's funny. I liked that. But then. When he goes home, and Sam, I hope I'm not jumping on any toes here, but he goes home, and he gets in his bed, and he, like, hugs a pillow and starts moaning, oh, Allison, you're so soft. Thankfully, 
his sister burst out of the closet before we see him start to jerk off to his classmate. But then we learn they've only been in town for a week. In a week, he has fixated on this person and he's like fixated on like imagining how soft she is and like going to his room to be alone and think about how soft she is. But this raises another question. Does the sin of Onan change your status as a virgin? And that's the thing. That's again where virginity is a dumb concept and this movie hasn't thought about it. But maybe it does, and that's why he has to get interrupted before he can do the deed. Or else the movie won't get started. (laughs) Yeah, the movie actually ended (laughs) before. Because if he gets to jerk off, (laughs) then when he goes to the cabin, he lights the candle, nothing happens. It's just Halloween. Do you think the candle lights it all and just doesn't turn black? Yeah, I think it's just a candle then. Okay. If if they're not a virgin? Yeah, 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 I imagine it's just a normal flame, probably. I mean... When they do go to the cabin and he's, like, talking about lighting the flame, first he's, like, trying to get Allison to light it, and she, like, pointedly doesn't. And that's what I'm like, oh, Allison has had sex before. She's not a virgin. I couldn't this tell if it was, if that was it. too horny for its own good. <laughs> or if she was just actually, because you can tell she's a believer the whole time, so I think she was just being funny. Eh, a little of column A, a little of column B. <laughs> I mean, that other thing is that if she believes and is a virgin, then she wouldn't want to light it yeah. because the Sanderson sisters would come back. Yeah. Yes, but... At no point when discussing, like, oh, there's a virgin here, do the witches ever direct their attention to her. We do have her weird reaction to that. And we have her reference to, like, old boyfriends among the list of monsters. (laughs) And again, in that scene, I feel like it's implied she's had sex with those old boyfriends. See, this movie really tells you that the best way to succeed in life is to not be a virgin and to be nice to people. Right, that's the thing. Where, like, everything would have gone better if everyone was having sex with each other. It's like the group in the vampire hunters and what we do in the shadows but there's the one guy who's like <laughs> oh yeah i just think before we do anything we should all have sex with each other right bring that vibe and wouldn't have an issue sam are we still on point number one or we've, we moved, moved, on? we've moved down to a lot of points <laughs> point, point, like point three honestly just ended with the, the giving of the number like and then a one and a half when she returned the number back to him after he told her he did not believe in halloween This is, again, it's kind of like uh, Halloween 3, Mark, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, where people really get shamed for not having the Halloween spirit like they live in a Christmas town. Oh, yeah. I kind of love that the two driving forces of this movie are his horniness for Allison and Halloween. It's like those two things, how you feel about Halloween and how horny he is for Allison, just like push all the non-existent plot points. Sam, what, what can we say? He just loves those yabos. Oh, my gosh. Yabos. That would be that was <laughs> Oh, that was point two. <laughs> okay, great. Let's let's do point two. So point two was when he is taking his little sister Halloween trick-or-treating, and he somehow stumbles upon this like very fancy like not somehow stumbles upon them. They ended up at a very fancy home. Obviously looking for the good candy, but then they just walked into the house, <laughs> which I've never done on Halloween. Maybe that's a thing elsewhere, but Seemed kind of rude, but he just... I think it's not. <laughs> so he just walked into the house with his sister, and it turns out, of course, that it's Allison's house, and they're having a big Halloween party. So, um, how's the party? Boring. It's just a bunch of my parents' friends. They do this every year. I've got candy duty. By the way, Danny, I love your costume. Thank you. I really like yours, too. Of course... I couldn't wear anything like that because I don't have any... What do you call them, Max? 
Yabos? <laughs> Max likes your Yabos. In fact, he loves them. But it's like a big Halloween party where everyone is in like 18th yeah. <laughs> century finery. Yeah. It should be a Renaissance fair, but... <laughs> No, this is an orgy way no, to happen. No, it's like Hall of Versailles-themed orgy. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they, she had a very Marie Antoinette-looking dress on. I said Fidelio when they walked into this house. <laughs> and so when he runs into her, his sister recognizes from the previous near-masturbation scene that this is the girl he likes and talks about to her that Max likes her yabos, which I assume are her boobs, and we all assume are her boobs. Oh, it's very clear, because... Allison is talking about the dress she's wearing, and Danny, the sister, goes like, oh, I couldn't wear that because I don't have, like, uh, what do they call them? Yabos? That's me paraphrasing. I wrote down the quote, Max likes your yabos. He loves them. Yeah, and somehow that didn't make her <laughs> really uncomfortable, which I think Allison is most people. unfazed. She is not like, first of all, why is your 10-year-old sister telling me that you love my boobs? And secondly... Why are you telling anyone that you love my boobs? And thirdly, you've been here for a week. And yet, somehow, Allison decides to continue this conversation and offers to take them to the Xanderson house. And is it just like, get out of my house, you freak? It's just like, she hangs out with him all night. And the introduction is like, one, he doesn't care about Halloween, which seems like it might be a deal breaker. (laughs) Number two, his sister is like, my brother loves your boobs. So weird. It's, yeah, yeah. It, that that scene, I I really don't love. But somehow this oh, really? is endearing. You think that's you think that's a weird scene, Sam? <laughs> but somehow this is endearing and leads her to now want to go on a date with him. <laughs> you would not have responded positively if this happened to you. Someone's little sister told me that their brother was telling them about my boobs. Probably not. <laughs> but in um. Apparently, 1993, this didn't face anyone. <laughs> Look, none of us was alive when this movie came out, so we can't be certain that this wasn't how things worked. <laughs> yeah, apparently, this is, this is prime dating in 1993. Well, look, we're all going to have to come up with dating advice from this movie, so... <laughs> so this <laughs> Yikes. This leads to point three, where they are suddenly on a date to a haunted house on Halloween. With a 10-year-old. <laughs> with a 10-year-old sister. I like that his first date with her has his sister tagging along. He he said she should trick or treat alone, but didn't then send her home when he wanted to go on a date. He like was like, oh no, she's gotta come with me. What's that? Oh, it's the black flame candle. <laughs> black flame candle. Made from the fat of a hangman. <laughs> Legend says that on a full moon it will raise the spirits of the dead when lit by a virgin on Halloween night. Hmm. So let's light the sucker and meet the old broads. And do the honors? No, thanks. Danny is, like, mean to him. She does the Yabos thing. She, like, surprises him when he's trying to jerk off. And at one point when, like, the bullies are harassing him... And he backs off so that they can walk home safely. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to fight them. I would have been dead. And Danny's like, well, at least you would have died like a man. She's a monster. She really is. She is not nice to him. There's honestly, there's a 
strong theme in this movie about how everyone bullies Max. Like, like, it's like a very strong theme. Like, all of the boys in school apparently bully Max. His sister does. Allison probably said one nice thing to him on the first day, like, hi, and no one else has ever been nice to him in his life, and that is why he's obsessed with her. That's why he's walking around with a boner all the time. Honestly, I I think that tracks with this. So, at the Sanderson house, apparently Allison's mom used to work there, so she's giving the tour. It used to be a museum that has closed for some reason. Coincidentally, he finds a lighter on the ground because they can't give the implication that he might be a smoker. Yeah, they actually explicitly say that earlier, don't they? Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. When he's talking to Ice. And when the witches go to the the, de- the devil's home, he's like, I'll take you to the non-smoking section. So there's like a lot of weird smoking references in this movie. 93 is peak, like, say no to cigarettes, <laughs> kids. And also just the rise of the smoking section as a concept. True. And so... Uh, you know, against Allison and I don't even remember the sister's name. Danny. Um, Danny's wishes. He then lights the candle. Yeah. And so then the witches come back and they're all like trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, ooh, we smell children. Sarah Jessica Parker tries to seduce Max by being like, ooh, you're the brave little virgin who lit the candle. And Allison like practically punches her. Yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting first date considering it started with the boobs comment and now is ending with. An older woman trying to seduce her date. And also just, like, the repeated virgin talk, which is just, again, it's just weird. And part of it, too, like, because this is a kid's movie, and there are going to be kids watching this who don't really know what a virgin is, like, they have to hit the word really hard, so they're punching the word to (laughs) highlight it, but they're hitting it so hard that it winds up feeling derisive half the time, and, like, it's dumb and bad to make fun of someone for being a virgin. It's a dumb concept, and also, like, (laughs) let people live their lives. But in this movie, it feels like Max is always being made fun of. Yeah, he's bullied even by the the script. (laughs) How many kids ask their parents what a virgin means after watching this movie? Probably a bunch. Honestly, probably. Yeah. Conversations these parents were not ready for. They were like, I just took my kids to see a Halloween movie in July. Why am I talking about this? Why are they all asking me if they're virgins? (laughs) I mean, yes, that definitely happened. Like, some kid was like, Daddy, am I Because, yeah. I mean, I, pro- I think I probably asked that the first time I saw this. Because I was probably like, oh my god, what if I light a candle on Halloween? Those are the fears you have when you're six. <laughs> <laughs> so, does this bring us to point four, Sam? And is point four when they have sex? <laughs> yes, and yes. Point four is, suddenly, they've, they've just had this, they think, successful defeat of the witches. So, they're home. Pat Max is home. So they're in Max's home, and we see Allison wake up in his arms, and it's, like, unclear whether they had sex, but they definitely were intimate. Like, the, the positioning of her in his lap is intimate. What's it say? Uh, it says, form a circle of salt to protect from zombies, witches, and old boyfriends. And what about new boyfriends? So this is, like, maybe, like, she gave him a hand job under the blanket because, like, they didn't want to go all the way with his sister in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly... There was some sort of sexual contact between these people. Yeah. And that might be enough. Yeah. They definitely made out. Like, you... Like, they had make-out vibes. Yeah, here's another question. If someone who's gotten a handy lights the candle, <laughs> does that count? I think if we accept... Because we were talking about the choreography of all this. I think if we accept the blanket placement as, like, that's part of what happens in the movie, then, like, yeah, he got a hand job. 
And that's enough. Like, that's why he's not enchanted by Sarah Jessica Parker. Maybe, like, he got to touch her yabos while that was going on. And, and that's what did it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I, get, what I, I cannot think. stress strongly enough that I do not watch movies like this. <laughs> except that this movie demands that you watch it that way. Yeah, it, it does. The, the, honestly, yeah. It's... To see this movie for the first time as a, like, full adult is to only be able to focus on these questions. Yeah. And it's amazing because when you're a kid, you don't, even though the entire movie is about his virginity. I, like, like, shortly after this, they, like, go down to the kitchen and they're, like, flirting in the kitchen. And Allison is making some jokes. The salt. About how, like, the yeah. salt can keep away, like, zombies and ghouls. Like, monsters, like, zombies and ghouls and old boyfriends. When he goes, what about, what about new boyfriends? <laughs> and goes in for a kiss. I laughed. I was, like, hooting so hard I almost gave myself the hiccups. This movie is the worst. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it is the worst, like, widely beloved movie we have ever covered. Like, we've covered much worse movies. But not ones that people are like, I must watch this annually. <laughs> I really <laughs> And again, I'm happy for you. I would never take it away from anyone. I don't think it's like I don't think it's bad or evil or anything. <laughs> I just don't get it. I think I think it's the the personalities of the witches that I enjoy the most. And that none of them are good, and it doesn't really make sense why I love it so much. It feels like an inside joke I'm not a part of. And I don't have an answer because I really don't know why I like it so much. I think it's nostalgia plus I just enjoy. Okay, the other thing I think too, and I I don't know if this is like an actual thing, but throughout this movie, just watching it as an adult woman, like I like that the main character is not dumb. Like I like that Allison is smart and knows more than him. And I think it's fun for like me as a girl and as when I was a little girl to see like the main character not be like, some damsel in distress or some bimbo, but still be, like, really hot and really cool. Like, she's got this whole vibe, and you're like, I want to be like her. Like, she's really cool, and she knows all these things about random fake Sanderson sister in history. No, Allison seems great. Like, I understand why Max is into her, but I don't understand why she is into him. None of us do. Especially, yeah. especially since it starts at the Yabos. <laughs> and again, we will discuss this. Week, I he am has sure. been in town for one week. It's not like they've known each other for years and like things have gotten awkward since puberty. It's been a week. He has a California laid back tie dye attitude and he has been in town for one week. I love the California hate in this movie too. Like, why? <laughs> they did all of the daytime stuff is shot in Salem. In Massachusetts. And in Marblehead. In Salem oh, and Marblehead. So cool. I did not know that. All the nighttime stuff is on a soundstage in Burbank. <laughs> that tracks. That's hilarious. All right, so they've had sex, Sam. Are we at point five, yeah. or is there more? No, no, that that's it. Circle. I had I had four and a half as the salt moment because it was such a standout. But point five is I because it doesn't really. So there's no real resolution to their relationship. Just at the end, correct. They are suddenly she's like hugging him, and there's this like image of her holding him with Danny that and it looks like Danny's their child and it's weird it like suddenly looks like they're the two parents and Danny is their child and so I guess it's like Terminator 2 you've got to create a surrogate family yeah I guess like the parents like in all Disney movies are <laughs> not dead but pseudo dead 
Well, they're dancing to their death <laughs> yeah. in the town hall. A spell was put upon them. So they are pseudo dead because they were actually alive for in the rare, rare, rare Disney instance where the parents don't work and their children. And the movie actually ends with the parents. Yeah, in a weird, I, yeah, yeah. It's so clear the movie does not know where to come to an end. In part because, like, it has too many things going on, but none of them have been fully developed. So they're like, all right, obviously we've got to get rid of the Sanderson sisters. It's very important that Winifred turns into stone and then explodes. Like, <laughs> and just none one of her wouldn't be good enough. Turn to stone either. That's my favorite part. It's like, only Winnie. <laughs> it's also, I was like, oh, she turns into stone. That's kind of cool. And then this thing is just around town forever. Nope, it explodes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe she turns to stone because she touches hallowed ground, oh. but then she explodes because of the sun. Oh, that does make sense. So you do that. Actually. Then you do the 17th century ghosts because ghosts yep. are real. And then you cut to the parents because you're like, well, we do need to establish that they their parents die. did not dance themselves to death. <laughs> this is a rare Disney movie where they all survive. And then the movie ends. So do we find the romance of a hocus pocus believable? Sam, what do you think? I mean, so it starts out strong in the first scene, right? Like, I absolutely can see someone... You're saying it starts out strong when a boy flirts with a girl in class and she's nodded to it. Yeah, when she then returns his number. Like, that part spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I would totally do that. And then it quickly takes a turn when his younger sister discussing her boobs, like, has suddenly made her like him. That, that to me, not very believable as a person. (laughs) I tend to not change my opinion based off their little sister saying that they only talk about my boobs. Well, you know, Danny didn't mention that he also thinks she's very soft. (laughs) In some ways, it is a compliment. I guess. It is. It's a Mark, this is what, like... Not what I want. (laughs) (laughs) This this is, like, pickup artist argument. Like, why can't... Why can't women just accept that it's a compliment? Like, we appreciate their bodies. I'm just trying to come to some reason why she would continue the conversation. Not that I agree with it, but she's the one that stays around after Yabos is thrown around. <laughs> yeah, if the word Yabos itself wasn't enough to be like, it's a weirdo. Especially because the sister is like, I learned this word from Max. I spent a while thinking about Yabos and like, is there any worse thing? And all I could come up with was chesticles. <laughs> yeah. Chesticles is probably worse, but Yabos not great. Not great. Yabos has like nothing redeeming because it's not that funny. Chesticles is at least wordplay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Sam, every week we rate the believability of a movie's romance between zero and ten, where zero means we believe nothing that happens and ten means we believe everything that happens. And I'm curious where you would rate Beloved classic, Hocus Pocus. I think it's a solid four. I think her returning the number is very believable. I also think him lighting the candle to impress her is believable. Like, I think, like, those are things, like, people do when they're, like, trying to impress someone they're into. But (laughs) the whole premise... Just admitting you're a virgin (laughs) is an interesting move on the first date. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that, there's that. This movie just hinges so much on virginity and doesn't know what to do with the concept. Yeah, and I also find it weird that she is turned on by his, I don't know, I, like his first Yabos and then burning up some witches in a kiln does not, like, to me that's not, like, I don't think I'd be that horny after that with a stranger. Like, maybe if they'd known each other. Sam, what are you talking about a stranger? They've known each other for a week. <laughs> maybe if they'd known each other longer, like, that'd be different because you have, like, the adrenaline or whatever, but I think I'd just be like, this kid's crazy and i never want to see them again 
I'm giving I this was, movie a one. I was going to go with a two. I mean, the timing thing is big for me because I also don't understand how he has fixated on her so quickly. See, that doesn't... That doesn't that phase me. That doesn't phase me. He's a teenage yeah. boy who moved to a new town. Of course he falls in love Pretty with the girl. hot, cool yeah. girl. I just think he might still be fixated on someone from California. Like, everything else we see of him before that night is that, like, he resents having moved there. True. But I could see, I don't know, I could see that happening. Like, a week is just long enough for you to figure out who's, like, to get a sort of sense for who's, like, the it kids at school. Do we think Allison is one of the it kids, or is she just, like, pretty and smart? Well, she's also rich. Yeah, I think, and they all cheered when she answered, which, I mean, supposedly they're a Halloween-loving town, but I, I feel like that established right, they're obsessed her, with the Sandersons. her popularity. If her mom ran the museum, and they all love the Sandersons, and then they cheer when she answers questions. <laughs> Like a normal high school class, everybody. Like a normal high school. Yeah. Everybody cheers. I think I'm gonna ten points for Gryffindor every time Sam. <laughs> oh my God. Every time she answers a question. Well, you should start. You should start encouraging your kids to do that. <laughs> well, I should just start awarding points to made up house names and when people do stuff and see what they do with it. Or yeah, the next time someone answers a question in class, I should just then look at everyone and say, "Well, are you gonna clap or not?" <laughs> she was right. What do you want? Okay, do we find them dateable? I mean, Allison, yes. She's cool. Yeah, Allison rocks. Who wouldn't want to date Allison? Really, the only questionable thing about Allison is that she, like, hooks up with Max. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, honestly, yes. I agree. Which, it's kind of like the reverse George Clooney and Amal Clooney effect. <laughs> We're like, George Clooney being so into Amal Clooney is like, yeah, you, you can spot, like, a kick-ass woman I like that. Uh, it's like she, it's like you kind of are like, really? You're into that guy? Like, yeah. Right, it's like Max is trying to punch above his weight and Allison should recognize that and do better. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sam, if you had to pick anybody in this movie to date, whom would you choose? I mean, I think Allison hands down. She's the only, I think she's the only dateable character in this movie. Even though supposedly Winnie and Sarah date the same guy, so. Mark, what about you? I don't know. Their mom scene's pretty cool. Like, that's a well-put-together Madonna costume. She does. She seems fun. She's she's dancing. And, like, she cares about her kids. She can have a good time, but she also, like, cares about her kids and knows how to flip that switch. Yeah. Yeah, the parents seem pretty good in this movie as a whole. Yeah, I think the dad was my answer. I liked, again, that, like, he was able to have a fun time. He's, like, making dumb dad puns. Like, oh, yes, I'm dadula. And, like, even before that, at the house, like... He lets Max have his space when Max is upset about having moved. The dad's not, like, chasing her and be like, you should be glad that we came here. Like, this is paying for your life. He's just like, yeah, let him, like, go upstairs. He's not wearing shoes, like, whatever. Like, he's being a weirdo. And then even when Max comes down with a, like, half-assed Halloween costume, the dad is like, I'm going to do one tweak just to, like, buy in with, like, you say you're dressed as a rap singer. Like, all right, be a rap singer. Like, dress like this. That's fine. Like, I think he is actually, like, really good at, like, being supportive with his kids and having clear boundaries and also like going out and having fun with his wife. That's a little sad though. When he realized that Max is just sad about leaving his friends. I don't know. That was like one of the moments in the movie where I was like, wow, that's actually like, that's kind of sad. Why did we include this? I think it's sad for Max, but I don't know that the dad really could have responded better in that moment. No, Because the situation isn't going to change. Agreed. Agreed. And instead the dad is focused on like, let's have a good time where we are. I will say I'm a little bit tempted by Gary Marshall. <laughs> Who appears in this movie <laughs> I was playing a man say. who is the devil for Halloween. 
And when the Sanderson sisters see him, they're like, oh my gosh, it's Satan. Like, he's our hero. Let's go hang out with Satan. And the reason I'm not picking Gary Marshall is because when these women are, like, entranced by him, and especially, like, Sarah Jessica Parker, the hot one, he's like, well, if Sarah Jessica Parker wants to, like, you know, flirt with me, I am gonna flirt back. And so I don't know that I want that in my partnership with Gary Marshall. I would rather date a different Gary Marshall, like Gary Marshall, the candy magnate from A League of Their Own. His wife is pretty fun in that scene, though. Like, she seems his like a spitfire. His sister, it's his sister, Penny Marshall. I did not realize that. Director of A League of Their Own. I, I don't know if I would want to play my brother's wife <laughs> in anything. <laughs> but yes, because of the openness to infidelity on Gary Marshall's part, I'm going to have to go with Max's dad. All right. Do you think that Max and Allison will stay together? I hope not. I hope not. I think it's highly unlikely they last through the summer. If there is a god, they will break up in a week. <laughs> Allison and her yabos deserve better. <laughs> All right. So do we think there should be a Hocus Pocus musical? Sam, what do you think? I actually so I I actually think this would this movie of the flaws would be fixed by it being a theatrical performance. Like people coming in and out do not bother you nearly as much in theater. Because you, I think, from the Greeks, and a lot of the Greek plays where death happens off off stage, like, you get kind of used to expecting things off stage to be happening, so you forgive sort of the lack of continuity a lot more. So I do think it'd be better as a musical. Also, because more Bette Midler singing. Well, I also think that, like, you know, going back to that Ebert line about how it's a movie with great activity but little progress. I think a lot of this movie is, like, characters running around and yelling and you're not clear what they're trying to do or, like, what is supposed to be going on. And I think if you took all of that time and turned it instead into musical yeah. numbers, it would be more fun. And it would also, basically, like, the necessity of musical writing would force the characters to more clearly state either their active goals or their emotional goals. Yes. And so it would, being a musical would actually create a more focused version of this movie. Uh, yeah, I think this would, the songs would honestly help make it make more sense. Yes, I think so. I, it actually, now, it, after watching it for the 20th time, but really paying attention, I, I'm sad that it's not. And it is, like, it is remarkable how much the movie locks into place in the musical sequences. Especially I Put a Spell on You, but even the Come Little yeah. Children sequence, it's like, oh, like, something is happening now. Yeah, and it would be very easy to turn, like, like instead of it being, like, you would no longer have the weird Yavos comment, because that would be a song when he sees her at the party, and you would never say Yavos in a song. Well, you might. <laughs> That's also a much better use of Kenny Ortega's talent. Yeah, well, that, I mean, it makes sense why this the musical numbers were so much better than everything else. Mark, there has not ever been a Hocus Pocus stage musical. I'm honestly a bit surprised. In 2015, as part of... Disney World's Halloween festivities, their annual, like, Mickey's Haunted Halloween Party, which, like, runs for weeks in Disney World, they introduced the Hocus Pocus Villain Spelltacular. Oh, my God. Which is a live show in which the Sandersons host a villain party and use song to summon villains to come to their party. It doesn't sound terrible. Yeah. It's not fun in Disney. I mean, what's not fun, though, in Disney? I mean, the Disney parks put on good live yeah. shows. I don't know. The Hershey Hershey Park literal rhinestone cowboy gay <laughs> paying to Americana might give anything a run for its money. I mean, that is very different than like the Disney World tribute to America in Epcot, which is all 
animatronics, which is fun, but it's narrated by Mark Twain and Ben Franklin robots sitting around a table. Yeah, uh, the Great American Songbook performed by Broadway wannabes in rhinestone-covered costumes, including cowboys and Navy sailors, really (laughs) did leave its mark on me. As a place we went into only because we wanted air conditioning. It served a purpose. (laughs) Yep. Well, and on that note, I think that's about it for Hocus Pocus. Sam, I am glad that we did this. I am glad that we, like, just randomly this summer decided the three of us had to talk about this movie. I think this was well worth our time. I am also glad because you, even if you don't like it, you should know what it is. <laughs> I think it is good that we both now have seen it. Yes. Even if we missed the window of enjoying it. It's not for me, but I would never take it away from anyone. Next week, we will be discussing a, um, I guess, cult film at this point, but maybe not. Who's to say? A sequel to a sequel that has nothing to do with either of the original two, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You know, this week's episode was tied to the release of Hocus Pocus 2 on Disney+. Plus. We're talking Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, right around the time that Halloween Kills is coming out in theaters and on Peacock. I believe you mean Halloween ends. Halloween ends. Didn't That's Halloween, right. Halloween kills. kills was last. Halloween was already killed. Now it's ending. <laughs> Halloween was. You know, here's the thing. Halloween wasn't killed hard enough because that movie wasn't very good. Huh. Um. Yeah, we're talking season of the witch, which it's a weird movie. It's like Hocus Pocus. It's not very good, but it does have its moments. It's interesting and. Until next week, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show, or rate us on Spotify. That's a thing now, and I don't know if anyone has done it. All right, Sam. As guest, please provide us with the best piece of dating advice you got from Hocus Pocus. Um, can it be one of those, like, lessons... Because of the mistakes people made in the movies. Here's the deal. You can do whatever you want, but we might yell at you. (laughs) Because my takeaway that I think is good advice is don't, don't start dating someone just because his little sister tells you that he likes your boobs. (laughs) Like, that just, that's never a good reason to start. Like, you should probably like them for more than that. This is a message the young women of America need to hear. Like, I, I, yeah, I just think. That sole compliment should not be the, the like, basis of your wanting to be someone. It might not be the whole basis. Again, he's been around for a whole week. <laughs> My dating advice is that if you don't want to go out with someone, you can just refuse. Like, hand back their number the way Allison does. The best dating advice is what happens right at the start. I guess my advice is, you know... Shoot your shot, because you never know what'll work in getting you a date, so you might as well try. All right, well, there you go. Until next time, I am a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Bye. I put a spell on you! <laughs>